Kyle Amor, welcome to the podcast, my friend. Great to have you on. Uh, look, the last time that you and Wilco were together, Kyle, you swore on live TV. The man asking the questions was John Wilkin. Uh, I think the quote was, what about Jack Wellsby's chase in the 80th fucking minute? And then kind of anchorman, sort of Ron Burgundy style, John came in and obviously was told in his ear by the bosses that he had to apologise. And he said, sorry about that. The language from the, the Cumbrian, Kyle Amor there. Good memories, John. Yeah, great memories. Uh, there's nothing more awkward than when you step out of sport into a bit of broadcasting and then they ask you to interview lads who know you <laughs> quite intimately. Uh, at a point as well when I know exactly what's going maybe through their minds. So they were like, right, we want you to interview the lads after they've won. And in my mind, I'm thinking this could go so wrong, you don't even understand. And uh, look, a swear word from Kyle was you know, actually probably the best result. I was expecting to maybe get picked up, carried away, you know, even <laughs> the track, you know, Kyle's from Cumbria, so they still de-keg people up there. I was expecting, I, I didn't know what was coming, but a swear word was absolutely These appropriate. These are all good ideas, Kyle, for next time. No, no, that's all, yeah, he's just, he's just fueling all but, that, isn't he? Uh, <laughs> but, right, there's very, there's, there's times in life where the English language doesn't give you the right words to say so swear words are there for a reason right so kyle saying fuck right at that point was exactly the right time to say it wasn't it (laughs) i think so mate what do you expect though you know it's obviously especially the way that game finished to put a microphone in front of someone minutes after it you know you you're not really you're just you're just buzzing and like you say when you when you know you as well it doesn't feel like you're being interviewed it feels like you're just having a crap with you again so yeah (laughs) Mate, what was that like then after? Because it was an unbelievable game, wasn't it? An absolute. We talked about it so much on this podcast the last yeah. few months. It was such a great advert for rugby league. But then I think you you rocked up, didn't you? Home was it twenty four or forty eight hours later? Still in your full kit. You put a picture of you and the missus up, and you were <laughs> sipping from a, those oversized Sports Direct Mike Ashley mugs. Yeah, we uh, <laughs> we uh, we all just ended up staying in our kit after the game, got on the bus, went back to the stadium. And to be honest, I don't even remember that picture being took or even writing anything about it. I was, I was absolutely, you know, I was, I think James Roby ended up coming back to my house and, and we had a few drinks in here. And then uh, obviously my missus and kids got up and it's probably not, it's probably not great. Is it for your kids to see dad absolutely steaming? They're still carrying on like that. But, um, yeah, but no, yeah, nah, nah, it was it was it was awesome. And then you know, like I say, you you lads have been there as well. You you know, a couple hours after you straight back out and and at it again, aren't you? So nah, it was just honestly, it was awesome, mate. It's you know, you, again, you lads have been lucky enough to, to to do to do things like that as well, haven't you? So you know, it's just a special a special time and a special memories that you have forever, really. So, Carl, where are you at then right now? Because I know you signed a, a one year deal, sort of you know during lockdown for that twenty one season. And you guys are flying at the moment, aren't you? Five from five, and you could do it all over again this year, the way you're going under under Christian Wolf. But I know you said that you thought you might have played your last game during lockdown. So how good to be going for another season again? Yeah, definitely. You know, I mean, that was massive for me to re-sign last year. Um, I was under no illusion that sort of I wasn't starting games anymore. Um, you know, I was off contract and my goal that year was to work hard and get a new deal anyways. But And then lockdown came and it kind of... 
it really hit the panic button a bit as well. I think I think we just thought, well, every one of us were thinking, right, when when are we going to get going? Are we going to get going again? And and uh, you know, so after sort of a couple of days of 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 just sort of chilling at home at first, when all this you know the whole lockdown situation came about, then. I just thought, right, well, I've got to do something to, to, to make sure that, that, that when we do come back that, that, that I hit the ground running and I put my best case forward to try and to try and stay at this club. I still believe I had enough to offer the club and, uh, you know, thankfully we got on to do, you know, what we did last year and, and, and got a new deal for myself personally, yeah. I think it was really easy to, to see which teams had, had taken that lockdown seriously and done the best during that that three months. I know at Salford, we started off last season pretty scratchy and, and we were hit and miss at times, but um, th- we all worked really hard and we had plenty of sessions to do during that lockdown. And I think when we came back, we were on a really good run because we'd worked so hard and, and it, it showed in the results. And that's probably what led us to the Challenge Cup final was, was all the hard work we put in yeah. during that time. So I think, you know, we've all, the three of us have all probably made careers by being reasonably average, but lads who try hard and I think you know that, that it was evident for, for Cal getting a new deal last year definitely mate and I think I think a lot of people don't realise that that's a that, that, that's a that's an art and a skill in itself isn't it I'll, I'll take you I'll take your phrase for it because it's probably bang on really being average but being very being very good at being average if you know what I mean um, sort of having your role within the team knowing what that is not stepping out of it and just delivering what you what what everybody around you knows what you can deliver and deliver that constantly over a number of years. The, the thing about that, Kyle, is you know, like I, you know, I find that really interesting. This this concept of of being average of like what we're saying is probably we aren't the most talented like people in the competition, but talent actually is a fucking myth in it like right what does what does it mean like ben ben barber was talented but you know he, he had to bounce around move from clubs because he was flawed deeply talent never ever gets trumped by hard work and if if you work hard and if you apply yourself and work hard that's the only way to become really good at something and and that's that's one of the things i noticed about you Kyle is is whenever you got in your own head like you were really you're one of those players that when I played with, I knew you'd get in your own head. I actually found that was productive time for you. You know, when, when there's jeopardy, Kyle, contracts on the line, you need to do something. What what do you, what you do is you go at it, don't you? You work hard then. Yeah, definitely. I think that's a fair comment. You know, I think probably, you know, looking back, I can say all this now towards the end of my career that perhaps when I've been the most comfortable has been the most dangerous time for me, really. Uh, I think, I think the more, the more under the, the, under pressure, the more the ball torches on me, the more I seem to react in you know? it. And I think that probably stems back from being, uh, being, being younger, really. And just always feeling that I have to prove people wrong, you know, in terms of playing the game. Um, and, uh, you know, I think maybe looking, looking back and thinking about it now, we're having this conversation that, when I feel that no, I'm still got more to give. I've still, I'm still here. I can still do this job. And maybe that's the pressure that kind of brings out the best in me. Um, yeah. Uh, Kyle, I love people's stories, and we've had so many people's stories and different stories um, on the podcast the last few years. Really, you were a really late starter to the professional game, weren't you? I know you didn't play a lot of rugby as a kid. I think you were 16 when you started playing seriously for Hesingham you know, local team in, in Cumbria. And then you, you left an, a, an apprentice job, didn't you? An apprenticeship job in a printing factory 
at 22 to join Whitehaven. I mean, that in rugby league terms, that is that is old. 22. <laughs> yeah. It is, well, can yeah. we talk about? Let's talk. Let's talk about that. <laughs> let's not talk about it. That, that, Come that on, tell us all about it. It's great. <laughs> no, it's uh, no. Look, it was it, it was awesome. Do you know what I mean? I, I but like you say, I came into the game at 16 year old and and. Uh, I only really started, I think I played maybe a, a game, at, uh, yeah, sorry, uh, the odd few games at under-11s or whatever. I didn't really play much as a kid. Um, my two older brothers played a bit, but um, yeah, so, so when I started my job, it was one of my older brothers' mates who was, uh, I was his apprentice at the time, and he taught, said, look, why don't you come down and give it a crack? You know, we've got a second team, so naturally you you go, you train, and you end up on the wing and uh, on a second team and a Friday night on a cold pitch somewhere up in Cumbria and really and then and then from I just loved that what I loved about it me was the was was the social side of it the piss up I was with I was drinking with men like me and my mates were, were seen as part of being a, this in this men's club do you know what I mean and it might sound a bit cheesy but that was what really captured it for me and uh, you know I just I, I loved it I'd play a second team on a Friday and then first team on a Saturday and it was it was awesome you know you had all these these lads who were buzzing off youthful stories and you'd be buzzing off all their older stories and no it was awesome mate. it was such a, a great time and you know and sometimes I, I think back now and you know it's times you're missing that you, you miss those times as you, as you get older the playing with Kyle actually when he was probably 18 19 I was at Wigan in the academy and he came down for he didn't train at all with us he just came down for one trial match against uh, against Leeds away and um, it was quite funny actually he didn't really speak to anybody He'd had a couple of cigs before the game and we were all like dead professional having like isotonic drinks, doing press-ups and he was out the back having a fag. And then after the game, he just walked around naked for about 10 minutes with this massive ginger bush and then <laughs> left and then no one ever saw him again. And he was like, who was that guy? Who was that guy with the oh, big yeah. bush and smoking all the time? Anyway, a few years later, it turned out to be Kyle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, actually, I, uh, I I had a trial. I, I actually played four games flash. So obviously, three of them I didn't do that well for you, did I? So you only remember one. <laughs> but, oh, did you? Right. Well, no, I, I had four of them. And what would happen was I'd get uh, that was off the back of a baller tour. A guy called John Fieldhouse recommended me to Wigan, um, and I used to have to get the train from Whitehaven to Carlisle, Carlisle to Wigan, and then Phil Vives would come and pick me up in his car and I'd stay at Sean Wayne's house. And I always remember. Uh, <laughs> I always remember one That's night. Class. Uh, we stayed the day before the game. We stayed over, and Sam Tompkins and uh, uh, Andy Thornley, I think it was, Jean Thornley's brother. They took me out, and they, they, anyways, they, they were in the bookies. And like Flash said, back then I was just like a lad from Whitehaven. You know what I mean? So I was sat out, I was sat outside the bookies having a having a smoke, really. And uh, and then, anyways, Sean, Sean Wayne called me later on that night and said, uh, "Do you smoke, Kyle?" I said, uh, "Well." And he said, how, "How many do you smoke a day?" I said, three. Like, like, as if I was ever going to believe I smoked three. Who smoked three cigs a day? You know what I mean? So anyhow, and then the, the week the, the week after that, I uh, I got a phone call whilst I had my kit bag on at Carlisle. I got the train from Whitehaven to Carlisle. Got the phone call. Said your month trial's up, mate. Uh, thanks for coming, uh, but it's an it's 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 no thanks sort of thing. So <laughs> I had to get the train back from Carlisle back to Whitehaven, just just go and tell all my mates that it was all off. <laughs> so so yeah. But, uh, you yeah, but, break, but, you were a centre back then, weren't you? You played yeah. Well, well I, I, I played I played back row like in my amateur first in, uh, amateur sort of first and second team, and then they put me at centre for this one Barla game, and that was the only game where. 
that John Fieldhouse recommended me off. So I played centre there. So I remember that game against Leeds, actually. Callum Watkins, I'm stood defending Callum Watkins off a scrum about sort of, you know, 30 metres off their own line. And as you can imagine, Callum Watkins has just stood me up a kipper and went straight through. So, yeah, that's uh, I didn't I didn't help myself anyhow. I know, I know we laughed at the, the printing factory stuff, but I, I love all that. And I love the stories of where you've had to come from and the sacrifices you've had to make, Kyle, because I, I imagine there's been plenty over the years. You know, you, you then joined Whitehaven. You were, I think, young player of the year in that one season that you played for Whitehaven in the championship for your hometown club, 2009. Um, you went to Leeds and you've kind of, you know, we had Paul McShane on a couple of weeks ago, similar sort of story, went to Leeds, didn't get a look in. You then got loaned out. You went back to Whitehaven. You went to Wakefield, joined Wakefield permanently. You know, you've been around the houses until you got that big move to, to Saints where it's all come good. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, like I say, I mean, the thing is, with being up in Cumbria, if you don't get spotted as a, a kid, like say, like a Lee Mossop who got picked up early on and, and whatever, you know, kind of once you get to 16, the door's almost shut, really. There's uh, there's not really too many people that leave once you're there. And then I, and then you throw into the, I got into, like I said, I done my apprenticeship in the, in the printing industry and, I bought an house when I was 18 and I just settled into small town life. Do you know what I mean? Where you go to work, you come home, you go out with your mates, you play rugby and you do that on repeat over and over again. Um, but then, yeah, really, it all came about was when Whitehaven and Workington, they kept asking me to sign. And uh, and my wife, uh, she fell pregnant with our, with our daughter and... Uh, Whitehaven kept saying to me, well, if you sign, we'll give you £350 a month and then you win and losing money. So I just, in the end, I just said to my missus, well, look, I've done me little Great Britain tours. These lot keep asking me, if anything, I'll take it. £350 a month, give it two or three months. There's our pram board. You know, and, that, and that's how I looked at it, you know. And, uh, you know, thankfully from then, it just it just took off, really. Uh, you know, once I signed, again, I had a, quite a few people doubt me because I was behaving in, I was behaving like a, like any sort of 19-year-old lad would, you know what I mean? I was, you know, I probably wasn't the most professional by any means. And um, so, again, I had, I had a lot of people saying, oh, you know, you'll, you'll be straight back up in the amateur club. You won't make it. Why are you signing there? All this. There's a lot of, as well, there's a lot of, uh, particularly back then, a lot of the amateur clubs didn't like the town teams, Whitehaven and Working, because they felt that they would just pull all their best players, that they were the ones who had developed, if you know what I mean. So, yeah, I mean, obviously, and then to go there, and I, I just remember again, I remember running home off night shift, trying to get fit for that pre-season and just, just wanting to prove a few of them older players who drank in the club wrong, really. So, um, yeah, just kind of went from there. It's it's a massive ten years though, isn't it? That when you look at it now, and that was that's all happened in the space of ten, eleven years. Did 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 you have that belief in yourself, or was it just purely no. a case of going out making no. a bit of money? I mean, if someone had said to you, you'd be sitting here now with you know three grand final rings, three Super League rings. Mm. I mean, yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? And and sometimes I I, I, just, I think I I genuinely believe I wasn't meant to play rugby. You know, you have people who were obsessed with it as children, and and who you know I. Even now, to this day, Wilco, I, I still doubt in my own ability in that now, you know what I mean? I've never really been the most confident sort of player in, in my own ability. But when when everything, like what we were talking about earlier, when I strip it all back, I, I believe that no, not nobody works as hard, but I believe there's not many people who, who would, given the skill set and the talent I have, who, who work that hard to get the best out, out of that, really. So um, I'm immensely proud of what I've achieved. And... Uh, yeah, I'm, again, I'm, 
you know, the game's given me loads of stuff. It's met me meet people who I never thought I'd meet and go places I'd never been really. So um, I'll always be extremely grateful for it. It's interesting, isn't it? Like the consequences of, of not performing or, or, or not doing something well and how that makes you want to improve and evolve. You know, like, um, you know, Kyle, you mentioned there that, that, that sometimes the stimulus for you to, to be good and work hard is the jeopardy of not having something or needing something or that drive towards something. And, and what I actually think is, is that's all about hunger. Like, where does your hunger come from to do something? And, and Kyle's had a family from a young age. You know, he's he's taken the opportunity of rugby. Rugby's provided stability for him. And, 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 and that hunger to keep that going is actually really powerful. You know, and, and you know, I think we look at all sorts of examples from sport around the world of, of like what motivates people. You know, why are they hungry to keep going? And and we all have different reasons, but for, for Kyle, you know, that that for me, I think knowing him, it's that jeopardy. It's always been on the edge of not quite being there and, and like pushing to, to, to be there. And, and, you know, one thing that I really find interesting what Kyle says is that that self-confidence, you know, lack of sometimes self-confidence or like that innate confidence. You know, there's some people who you play with and they just walk in and they just, they've got this ultimate like belief about themselves. They don't question it and they just sort of get on with it. But that's like one in every hundred sportsmen. For everybody else, we all feel very similar to how Kyle probably feels. You know, you feel a bit insecure. You feel a bit like you maybe got that imposter syndrome where you shouldn't be where you are. But all of that stuff drives us on. You know, and that that that's what I find fascinating about about Kyle. Not just about Kyle, about a lot of, a lot of sports people that that feeling that you shouldn't quite be where you are, and that drives you to work harder. And I think that's maybe something that everybody on this podcast has got. You know, what drives you, Wilco? Go on. Yeah, I, I I I honestly like I believe in hard work. Like I, I don't believe in anything other than hard work. I, I don't believe I was talented as a young kid. I, I was passionate um, about rugby in, in as much as I wanted to get better at it. So I worked hard and and. You know, this is one thing for people who are listening who don't know about Kyle Aymore is one thing Kyle probably always has been in control of is his fitness. Like, he makes himself probably as fit as he can be and, and, and works really hard. And, and I got um, taught from a young age, you know, me and Kyle have probably had a similar path. I was at Hull KR, you know, the lads are smoking cigs in the showers, having a beer and uh, and all that. And I, and I just looked at it and... and I could sense this is not the right way to do things. You know, I was like, right, well, what am I going to do? I'm going to get fit, right? I'm just going to get as fit as I can. And and then that's going to give me the best opportunity to be good at rugby. Because after you've played one game of rugby, it's fucking hard, isn't it? How hard is it? <laughs> it it doesn't get easier. So like when I played a game of rugby, when I was, yeah, when I was, when I was young, um, it's sort of a long way around, but what what motivated me was was controlling the things that I could. And I remember saying to my dad when I was really young, I said, I just don't want to give the coach a reason not to pick me. Do you know? And and one of the, the first things that I understood was that if you're not fit, you can't play rugby league. Like you have to be fit, don't you? And I think that's the biggest thing, really. If you make yourself as fit as you can, 
and you've got the good people around you, the good, skillful people around you, all sometimes, especially in my job, all my teammates want from me is, am I going to make that tackle and am I going to carry that ball when it's needed? That's it. You know, so if I'm fit as anything and I'm doing that, let the, let the you know, your six, seven, one, nine, let all them fancy players, let them do it. Do you know what I mean? Because they're the ones who are, you know, like, you know, like Johnny Lomax, he's like a co- he's like another coach on the field with you and let, let him, let him worry about all that. I just need to just make sure that I'm there. You know, if, if that, that's how I see it really. Um, you know, you, you look across some of the, you know, the best, even football, you know, you, you look across the, the best teams, they all have one or two players who perhaps don't grab headlines, who literally just, who, who do what's asked of them and are just there all the time. Like, you know, like James, James Milner, for example, he's, he's not, you know, he's not the, the star-studded player of the, of, the, of the likes of Firmino or Salah and all, but yet he just continues to keep doing and keep delivering what what's needed of him. Will, you'll know this. What, what was what was the nickname of Makaleli when he played at Real Madrid? Was it the water carrier or something? <laughs> the water, water boy or something, wasn't it? Yeah. The water yeah. boy. He had all the Galacticos around him and he was the, the water boy. So he well, was, there you go. There's another was example. Just, that, that was it. it. Yeah. That was his so what, you, what, you're is, what you're saying is Kyle, Kyle is the water boy? I didn't I understand. Know, I, I, no, if you want to no, call him Bobby Boucher, yourself, but... you can go. <laughs> Kyle Amor is the Claude Claude Makaleli of Super League. That's what we found. No, no, no. Um, no, I think it's really interesting because from the outside, I think fans, journalists, the media, um, you know, the, the world outside of the inner circle would never really think of that because you guys, you know, most of you are beasts of human beings, but actually there's a facade where behind it, some of you are, are riddled with self-doubt. And I, th- I find it a really interesting conversation that, that hasn't really, particularly in rugby as a stereotype. Yeah, I think, I, I think it's always, a, I think people who, who, who say that they, they don't have days where they doubt things or they don't have moments or periods in the career where they doubt things. I'd, I'd find that very difficult to believe. I think if you went across all sportsmen and asked them honestly, do they have periods of that? Of course they do. You know, you're not you, you're not a robot. You've got you are a human being with thoughts and feelings and and um, yeah, like you say. But you know, uh, fans and media like they, they they don't really that's not what they're interested in. Either. They're just interested about what the product is at the end of the day. And are you good enough to get them two points every week? So and 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 to be honest, why should they why should they be worried about anything else really? Now I think as well with 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 self doubt is. Um, it's one of those, you know, I think really sort of interesting things that people pretend so much that they don't have it. Like they, they spend so much time yeah. and energy like covering up the fact that the the most confident people in sport are usually the most vulnerable. And and I'll give you an example of this. Jamie Foster used to play at St. Helens. Outwardly, the most confident guy you would ever see. Flamboyant almost in his approach to like his job. But deep down was like an inherent vulnerability and like imposter syndrome. So whenever I see like outrageously confident players and, and, and I've seen countless young players come in who are over the top confident, for me, you know, as a, when I was more experienced, that, that was always a red flag. And I, I'll use um, Jack Wellsby at St. Helens. You know, if, if I could paint a picture of how some young player should come in and conduct himself. Yeah. It would be how Jack Wellsby did on his debut. He came in, he sat, he, he didn't say anything, he didn't have fuss, he didn't tr- interrupt anybody's preparation, sat there quietly, went out, played like a legend, came in, didn't speak about it. 
Like that, yeah. that for me, that's that, that is the way to build confidence, not pretending you've got it. And then, and then, yeah. you know, relying upon some facade of confidence, like later down the track. Is misplaced confidence and that facade of confidence, is that a societal thing more than it is? Um, I think probably uh, something that's, 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 that's grown in the sport. I think probably more so now, Flash, you know, with the, with the, the influence of social media and having to portray that you are something that you may be not, that you have such a good lifestyle or such a good life. I think with a lot of young people now coming into the game, that's the, that's the way forward. So they have all them, them little, um, you, you know, they, have, they, they, they constantly have people probably blowing the tires up a bit as well. Don't they, you know, like telling them how good they're playing or whatever. So uh, I always remember Wilco, a phrase Wilco used to say that, it's, you know, things are never as good as they are and they're never quite as bad as what they are as well. So, and somewhere in betweens, about the right, isn't it? So, um, you know, I just think that social media certainly doesn't help um, y- younger lads, really. Um, and, and and not just in sport, but in society as well. You know, you've only got to look through it all. It's it's carnage, isn't it, some of them? Some of them, you know, they look like they're having the, the best time of their lives, really. <laughs> It's, it, you know what, Kyle? It's an intriguing, uh, it's an intriguing transition, though, isn't it? From as you've painted it there, sitting on the steps at, at a chippy in Whitehaven, having a cigarette, wondering where your life is going, to the powerhouse that is St Helens. And you know, we talk about winning machines, we talk about winning mindsets, a winning culture, a winning mentality. How how do you create that? Because you've been part of that for so long now. How does that? How does it manifest? What does that look like when you hear those word those words? Yeah, again, it just all comes down to hard work. You know, a lot of people speak to, you know, not only myself, but many of the other players and they're all, you know, uh, everyone's wondering what, what we do at Saints. Why, why is this formula working? What is what are we doing that's different to everybody else? And, and we just enjoy working hard. And I know that sounds really boring and cliche, but it's the it's the standards that we set from you know from a Jack Wellsby to a James Roby you know we all we're all on the same page of of what a good behaviour looks like what a good trait in a game looks like what's acceptable at training what isn't you know and we all try and live by that not only at training but as much as we can away from the game and try and think what always have the team in the back of your mind of you know whether you I don't let let's say you've got a longer turnaround or whatever and you know you do you go and have 10 beers or do you just go and have a cup? Do you, do you get what I mean? And I, I keep, we always go back to alcohol for some reason in sport, aren't we? We always seem like that's the devil. You do. Don't we? You know what I mean? I mean, it's, yeah, but, um, you do. But uh, it's, um, yeah, it's it's always just making sure that, that, that we try and have the club at the, the forefront of our mind, really. I think from from my experiences of being in like a hard-working culture and hard-working teams, it's, it's something that um, when we spoke to Damien Hughes last year or the year before, it's, it's the cultural architects that that really push this. I think it's the leaders and the players that have been around and won things and the high achievers in, in any team that that push that kind of habit. And I think at Saints, having had John and uh, James Robbie, he's probably speaks with his actions rather than words more than anything. Paul Wellens, who's been there for decades. I think when you've got those figureheads at a club, who lead by example, the others follow. And then if you've got talent around that as well, it's just a recipe for success in which we've seen these last few years with Saints. John, look, you've been part of it, obviously, as well, that that that, that setup. Go on, what what would you describe? How, you know, how, how do you illustrate a, a winning mindset? Well, I think what's really interesting is um, 
a club's history can be um, beneficial, but it can also be really dangerous. And there was a period at Saints there where, you know, you start putting up fucking canvases of like people lifting trophies five years ago and ten years ago, and 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 like there's a thing in in life where, right, if you were at a golf driving range and Tiger Woods was stood behind you, you would play worse. It's like scientifically proven. It's like performance anxiety based on your incompetence relative to Tiger Woods, right? So what I think when we got it wrong at Saints, what we did is consistently, and I, I put myself in that as well, consistently heart back to what we did when we were successful. And and like the actual net effect of that is it, it, it hampers like the 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 output of the, the squad that you're in. Um you talk about winning mindset, well, Kyle's nailed it. It's just about hard work. It's about aligned vision. Uh, Jamie Peacock, who I work with on the BBC sometimes, has got an amazing saying that I just fucking love. It's a coalition of the willing. And it's like people who are all aligned, going in the same direction, bought into what you do, and just going at it hard. And um, that's what Saints have got now. And 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 it's always been just quite close to, to, to being there. And throughout my career, I think one of the real lazy assumptions was the Saints team we had in 2006 was a rank culture. It was, it was rank. It was not a good culture. It wasn't like a performance culture. It was a collection of staff sort of players who were paid pretty well at the time. And, and that together was just better than everybody else. And, and the difference with this St. Helens team is... It's, you know, it, it's talented, yeah, it's got some good players, but the collective comes before any of that individual stuff. And and when I watch him defend, I can imagine Christian Wolf, the coach, at home, I reckon he's got one of those little beer warm, you know, the things that keep a beer cool thing. He has one beer, and I can just imagine him in the nude, just watching Saints defend the line, just absolutely buzzing. Isn't it, Kyle? He's absolutely buzzing. <laughs> Oh, yeah, he's in the it. nude. He's, he's enjoying it that much. He's in the nude. His beer's really cold. He's probably imported them from Australia or something. He's stood there and he's just well, he's hand, delighted. Hands on his hips. Yeah. <laughs> just stood oh, there no, thinking this, this. Like this. Stood there thinking, this is brilliant. This is exactly what I love. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like no, look, 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 he's come in and uh, and and when he came in, he he came in off the back of Justin Albrook, didn't he? And you know, we we completely smashed the the points tally in a league that had stood for hundred odd year or whatever it was, and and we won the grand final. And um, and frown, my, frown, I got I got a frown off flash there. Do, do you not know that flash? No. Was it hundred odd year? Yeah, yeah, it was, it, was the, it was the highest, from first to second, it was the highest points tally that had been for a number of years. Jealousy is a cruel mistress. Sorry, but, I, anyhow, congratulations, Kyle. Yeah, well done, I love that. So, anyways, he, uh, <laughs> he came in and basically he just said, look, I'm going to get used, I'm going to make his a better defensive side. Well, we thought at the time, well, you know, you sat there thinking, how do you know what I mean? But he's the defense in everything he does is his bread and butter. You know, it's his baby. Like he, he, he really works his hard in it as well. Like so, you know, he, he, true to his word, he's delivered on it. I think you know, even last year at times we were defending unbelievable, and you know, you've only got to look in that grand final, really, both sides, really, not just, not just us, but uh, you know, I think it's going. The game's going that way as well, isn't it? Where you know, whoever's 
whoever defends the best over the whole over the course of the year will probably go on and appear in a final, isn't it? Well, what really impresses me as well is when you have a, a winning culture like you guys have got, and and you had even when you know Flash was there and Mark was there uh, and John was there as well, was the fact that you can sustain it when a coach goes because the turnover of coaches in rugby league is is far more than in you know in other sports and particularly in football, um, where normally someone will will get at least three or four years. I know it's not so much the case in the Premier League these days, but do you know what I mean. You can that it's kind of un, unchanged that you just carry on cruising and you have done under Christian Wolf. yeah no it's been uh, you know it, well before lockdown we we had a couple of iffy results didn't we if you remember back and we kind of obviously went away from lockdown it allowed everyone to have a big reset I think I think what happens is as well when, when you do appear in one of the finals or win it or whatever you only have really 30 days until you're back in training now for me it's very difficult to then ask yourselves to to be as motivated when that still hasn't the, the, the thought and the internal thought of, of winning it all and the emotion of getting over it mentally and physically to then start back pre-season again. I think it's, uh, I think we were all, we all said we were, but we all said we were on the same page and we were all invested in it. I genuinely don't believe that, you know, you only take sort of five or 10% will of players not to be as invested as what they're perhaps saying for it to become a problem. And I think I think that's probably something that, as a collective, that happened, really. And it, it caught us cold at the start of last season. But again, you know, with lockdown, it allowed us all to have that time away, that break that we perhaps needed and freshen up and attack the season. And I truly believe that when we come back that we were the fittest in the comp by, by a long way, really. I know, I know it's, it's all down to you and you guys have said that and it's all down to hard work and what you guys put in yourselves. But do you think at clubs like St. Helens, you have coaches and there's an infrastructure there, Wilco, that gets the best out of you that you just would, it, it wouldn't be the case at other clubs. That's not going to happen for, with all respect to Wakefield. It's not going to happen because of the things that are in place behind the scenes. Well, look, in, in rugby league, the, I'd say to this day, the biggest and the most important thing clubs do is recruitment. And it's not just recruitment of players, right? You recruit good players, fine, but recruitment of coaches. So highlighting um, and picking a great coach to come and lead your organisation might be the single biggest decision that you make. And, you know, if I look back at my career, uh, Ian Millward, Daniel Anderson, you know, Roy Simmons, Mick Potter, Kieran Cunningham, Nathan Brown, you know, there's a high turnover of coaches, but what the organisation has to do is just get more of those decisions right. Justin Holbrook, for me, was a genius move from, from St. Helens because um, this is one of the things I found is is coaching at its worst is really complicated. You try and complicate it with, with all sorts of, stuff and and you get down this like rabbit hole of complication and you're not really sure where you're going and then when you get clarity from a coach a great coach who distills a million bits of information and gives you it in two or three succinct sentences and you go ah right i get it like that's genius and 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 the skill of big clubs and great clubs is i'd say three things one is developing junior talent in-house which is just priceless the second is recruitment of players and the third is recruitment of great coaches and that's what great sports organizations do they just don't fuck that up they don't ever mess that stuff up and and i've seen it go wrong and i've seen it go right and st helen's got it right with justin holbrook and and 
I don't know if you remember Kyle when Justin came in. So he drew two big circles that overlapped on the on the wall, and it was like, right, this circle's frustrated and this circle's excited, and and they overlapped in the middle. And I, I want you to go write your name on the, you know, whichever circle or in the middle bit, you know, wherever you sit. So you know, like twenty five players all in frustrated. Kyle Amor in the bit in the middle because he's a suck ass. He was like, oh, Justin, like me, like me, like me, pathetic. Pathetic. Okay. All right, we'll we'll, 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 we'll we'll roll with what narcissistic John says. Okay, go on. <laughs> Absolutely. No, no, but that, that, that simplicity of the moving us from being frustrated, Kyle, to being excited was like, it was powerful, wasn't it? No, it was massive. And another thing that he spoke about was choices. And he said they used the Melbourne Storm, for example. He said Melbourne Storm would more often than not make the right choices. And he, I think he had a go. I can't remember what he said that. They used the, he used the analogy, if you're going out for a meal uh, and you want burger and chips, you swap your chips for salad or something like that. And it was just little things. <laughs> he said the more we can get these little details of changes, then the more we can bring these circles together. That's what, you know, and he and he he, he's, yeah. he's, he done a lot with these circles. And somewhere in the middle, that's where he wanted us. And over time, we got yeah. that really. And what was great about Justin was his ability to know what he knew how he knew what made people tick very quickly. Do you know what I mean? So he was able to so that same sort of group of players, he was able to get us to within a drop goal of a grand final, wasn't he, that year? Or, you know, yeah, the year yeah, after yeah. then we went on to achieve things. Now the, it was pretty much the same group of players. You know, there wasn't too Absolutely, much change. Yeah. So you know, yeah. and and I just think that exactly what Wilco is saying about a club when they get it right is so powerful that you know he could then he knew how to make John Wilkin tick come eight o'clock on a Friday. He knew how to make me tick come eight o'clock on a Friday. He knew how to make Johnny. Do, do you know what I mean? And and having that in your arsenal is 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 again it's so powerful because then you get players who who are wanting to play for you, who are wanting to do the right things because. I've said it a number of times before in the past that we're all like little dogs, really, that just want to be stroked and told that we're a good boy, aren't we? You know what I mean? At the end of the day, we want to come into video sessions and see that the, the, our actions that we've delivered on are being recognised, you know, and, and ultimately, it, you know, that's what it, it sort of comes down to. Well, there's a big, um, there's a big thing, and it's, it's a book by a guy called Lee Cockerell, and it, he's like the, he was the... I think chief operating officer of Walt Disney, and and one of the interesting things, Kyle, that he says is he uses A R E, and it's like three things you can never use up as a leader is acknowledgement, recognition, and encouragement, and and mm. that 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 you know it's like an unlimited resource you can't like ever use that up. Whereas yeah. if you praise somebody too much or you criticize them too much you can use that up you know you can use negativity or positivity yeah. too much but just acknowledging what people have done for you and, yeah. and then encourage them to do that more that that might be the most important and the biggest coaching message you can give acknowledging what's good and then encouraging yeah. people to do more of it and that that for me is the key to great coaching and Saints have obviously got that with Justin Holbrook, and I think with yeah. Christian Wolf, look, without doubt, they've they've got that as well. I'd say I've tried that. I've tried that acknowledging with my wife when she made me tea, saying, "Oh, thank you." I think she'll do it again, but she's yet to do it. So <laughs> it is interesting though that Mark about coaches, uh, because you know, especially when like Kyle's talked there about you know, having having self doubts, and Wilco said that you know, ninety five percent of sportsmen and women do have that. Um, but then you need that coach to kind of 
make you see a different route that you haven't even thought about and unlock something in you and find out something about you which you didn't know was there. Yeah, well, we spoke with Paul Machen um, two weeks ago and he, he mentioned um, his relationship with Daryl Powell, who's, I think he's been probably over the last five or six years, the best coach in Super League. He was, um, he was saying how when Paul Machen had a great year a couple of years ago, he was saying he can do more, he can do more. And he, he actually thought there, there wasn't much more left in him. And that's what led him to, to win the Man of Steel last year because he'd managed to squeeze that bit more out of him because he knew that that would motivate him as well to take him to the next level. And yeah, I think great coaches probably know the players that 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 are involved with every day, but but know them better than themselves and and knows know that what what made them take. And, and what 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 to get the best out of them? Um, I, yeah, I obviously you, haven't worked well, with you, Justin. You, Holt, you probably had stuff squeezed out of you, didn't you? You know, you you had extra juice squeezed out of you at, at Salford. Yeah, I reckon there's times when you've. You, I think if you're challenged to to do something that you can't do, um, probably squeeze something out of you. I remember times with um, Ian Watson would probably challenge me to to play a different way than I thought or to. Um, to do longer minutes or to do things that I probably didn't think of in my game, that's probably worked. But um, I think, yeah, it's emotional intelligence that we, we go, always go on about on, on this show is, is is understanding the people around you and, um, and, and and getting the best out of them when when they probably don't know it themselves is, is, is really key. And, I think and you've Wilco, got going genius. out of your comfort zone. Yeah, going go out of your comfort zone will... No, going out of your comfort zone, yeah, it, it's huge, you know, and, and challenging yourself. And, you know, you the only time you ever go out of your comfort zone is when you listen to other people. You actually listen to them. There's loads of people, right, who will stroke your ego, tell you what's going on. Um, and all that time, you know, that I think that's really dangerous. When you listen really intently to feedback that's in from the right place, then... That's where the learning is for sure. And I think coaches, again, the best coaches understand how to deliver shit news really well. Like they know how to do it. And they know they know when to do it. They know how to do it. And they know the impact of doing it at the right time. And, and, and you know, that, that for me is, I think along my journey, the worst coaches I've worked under are the ones who can't give bad news or don't really understand how to give bad news without using a bit of empathy to understand it from someone else's perspective. Where does the co- where, where where does it lie, Wilco, with the coaches that have a dream and then ring you up in the morning of a semi final to tell you you're not playing? Oh, <laughs> just curious. Name names. Name names, Kyle. Name names, Kyle. No, you don't remember that one, Wilco. <laughs> hey. No, I'd morning, of the, morning of the Warrington semi-final when, when uh, he'd named me. The, so he'd done the captain's run, naming the team. I'm thinking, fucking brilliant. I kind of knew that I wasn't, wasn't playing perhaps particularly great, but I thought, oh, I thought fucking hell, thank fuck for that. You know, we, we got Warrington at home. We got a chance to appear in another grand final. Went home, home in an hour and all week, saying to me, missus, oh, I don't know if I'm in, you know, I don't know. Anyhow, give me the nod, I mean, I'm thinking, brilliant. So I'm lying on the sofa, 10 o'clock the morning of the semi-final and my phone rings just in Albrook and I'm thinking, I fucking know what's coming here. Yeah, I just, I, I just knew what's going on. He was young, <laughs> and says, oh, hi, Carl. He's going, there's a guy in mind. I'm, uh, mind, I'm going to, 
I'm going to tell you some shit news, mate. I've had a, I've had a dream. Uh, he said, I was like, what? No, you've had a dream? He said, yeah. He said, no. He said, look, I've been tossing and turning all night and I know how Price is going to play the game and I've, I've, got to go with a, I've got to go with a power forward. So Jack's going to play instead of you, Jack Ashworth. I was like, mate, you're having a laugh here, aren't you? I said, like, it's, you know, we're playing tonight. Like, you're not, you're not doing this really, are you? And he's like, mate, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. So anyhow, but... <laughs> Hey, is, is that how Martin Luther King's speech went? I, yeah, I, I had a dream. I need a power <laughs> forward on the bench instead of Kyle M. I need, a, I need that power forward. So, you know, you know what I'm like, Wilco. I just use that did sort he, of... Did he do that to, as well? I need that he, power you know, forward. He, <laughs> give it that one. But, um, yeah. yeah, mate. Look, you know, look, like I said, sometimes you, you, you have to have little setbacks, don't you? You know, I'm not... Yeah, you know, at the time it was, you know, it was it annoyed me. Do you know what I mean? But what can you do about it? He's made his decision. He's not going to go back on it, is he? So you've just got to no, it, take it on the chin and go again, aren't you? Well, Ian Millward used to do something really similar. So Ian Millward wouldn't name his bench. You know, when I first got to Saints, so just everyone in the squad would sort of come to the game, and then mm. what he'd do is have his starting thirteen and sort of sit down, and then Ian Millward would. Openly in front of everyone, go through the pros and cons of picking everyone. <laughs> oh, the, the bench. It'd be like, oh, yeah. we, you know, we've got Wilco, you know, he's young and he's energetic, but then we've got Stuart Jones, you know, he's really experienced. And then, oh, how do we go? He'd just go around oh, the whole squad, the rest of the squad. And then he'd go, oh, no, oh, oh Wilco, you're in, you're in, you're in. <laughs> like, what the fuck? Oh, so, do you know yeah. what, though? I, I don't so, think. So much- some of the coaches, though, mate, they give you the best stories for whenever you meet up with your old teammates, whoever. Don't they, Wilco? They give you, you know, they give yeah, you the yeah. best moments <laughs> to, to sit because it's so funny. It's one of them that, like, you're not allowed to laugh at the time, but as soon as you walk out the video <laughs> room, you just get everyone's into each other. It's funny, man. It's yeah, it's uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's class. Funny. <laughs> Look, Carl, I want to talk to you about uh, Cumbria because I know you're a proud Cumbrian, yeah. as we said at the top of the show. Um, and I think like, you I remember you saying a few years ago that every time you play and you put on a kit, whether you're playing for Saints, whether you're playing for Leeds back in the day, whatever, you're always playing for Cumbria. You know, you're, you're playing for where you come from um, because you think a lot of the Cumbrian rugby league players uh, have sort of been forgotten behind Yorkshire and Lancashire and this obsession with Yorkshire and Lancashire when it comes to, to rugby. You look, you played for Cumbria, didn't you, against England in, in 2010 in that 18-all draw. Um, I, I know this is an interesting debate because Wilco doesn't, I know he disagrees with you, but do, do you ever think we will have a Super League team in Cumbria? I know there was some chat that Marwan Kukash was going to get involved in it in a, in a franchise. Um, I know Sean Lunt has talked about it before because there's a load of, load of Cumbrians as well as you that have played top level yeah. Super League. AD Gardner, Brad Singleton. Is, is that going to happen where you could have Whitehaven and Workington as, as feeder clubs or has it just gone too far where it's not going to kick on now? Look, I just think it like anything, you know, there has to be some there has to be a significant investment first of all, doesn't there really? But my my take on it is I genuinely believe that if it had that, it would be a success. I believe that you know, we we tried so many times with London. I believe if 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 Cumbria would have had the same time investment that, that perhaps London had, there'd be a lot more Cumbrians playing top flight Super League rugby than there would be in Londoners playing top flight. You know, you know what I mean? I think you go up there, they absolutely love the game. You know, everybody loves the, 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 the yeah, there is football, but there's no real team other than Carlisle United, which is 40 minutes, sorry, an hour away, 40, 40 mile away. Um, 
there's just you know you look at the the national conference league now you've got Wathbrow, Eggerman, uh, Kells, all sitting at the highest level that they can in the amateur game with no real influx from Super League. You know, you know, round here you get to go into schools and you you, you have uh, Saints sort of community camps and you have the the best kids going to these and then the clubs get the best pick of them all. Up there you don't have anything. You don't have any input whatsoever really from Super League clubs and. I just think that if the time and energy and investment has been or, or, or gets put in there, I believe you'll you'll untap quite a lot of you know a lot of talent up there and and a lot of talent that will have long successful careers. Yeah, I think look, I think in terms of Cumbria, I know, I know the top there, Will. You said that I disagree with Kyle. There's a couple of things I completely agree with Kyle on is that that Cumbria is an unbelievable resource for talented. Uh, rugby players, you know, the, the, the development of, of, of young rugby athletes up there, I think is is great. And and this is just maybe anecdotal evidence, but there's a grit to people who come from Cumbria. You know, the, the athletes who I've worked with and the players who I've worked with who come from Cumbria have got this, you know, we've, we've touched on it a little bit with Kyle, is this, they've got this deep held grit that is just like persistence, resilience, and, and look, that could be due to maybe the sparsity of the population up there, the harshness of conditions or or, or whatever it is. But you find gritty individuals come out of that area. My, my issue with Cumbria is, is, is based on one thing, one thing only. It's nothing to do with the history and the beautiful history that the game's got up there. There's just not enough people. They're too sparsely populated. It's like, right, we, we're going to drive an hour down here to play rugby in a village over there. And then it's two hours up to Whitehaven, and then it's like, right, where are you going to put? Where are you going to put a Cumbrian team just in Windermere? You know what I mean? No, it's man. like, no, that 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 for me is my only mm. thing about about Cumbria. Well, Carl, like, I, I, I guess think... the question, like from from the finance side of it, you know, if rugby league can't attract sort of local investors within the grassroots foundation that already there in Cumbria, then how does it go about trying to grow that in other areas? You know, it's going to take. It's going to take a franchise, isn't it, for it to happen? A forced franchise. Yeah, I do believe the way forward. I think, I think with the the with the championship, Whitehaven and working, you know, consistently jump up and down from championship to League One, and I think, you know, just from a purely from a business sense, that can't be. They cannot be making any significant money to to keep that going for for. Mm-hmm. for I mean, I don't. Without knowing the finance, it might be a bit bad of me talking about this, but they can't surely keep going like that and expect to. Uh, I mean, I, for me, they're just surviving at the minute. And 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 you know, you, Wilco, you speak about jumping out your comfort zone. Well, for me, I think it comes a time where you have to go right. What is best for the game up in here? Right. Well, for me, it's Whitehaven and Workington to merge together. Barrow is Barrow. It's it's you know, it was it was part of Lancashire for a, for a, a long long time, and it came into Cumbria. And I, I've no, I've no problem with that whatsoever, but geographically, it's an hour away. It's like it's like merging St Helens with Leeds. It's just, do you know what I mean? It's it's you know, it's probably quicker. It's quicker to get from Barrow to Wigan than it is to get from probably Barrow to, up to up to Workington. So. Um, for me, it has to be a West Cumbrian franchise where you could perhaps use Barrow as a, a feeder team for for lads that don't make the first team and drop down playing the championship. If you know for some sort of agreement, I'm not sure. But I always just look at it where you have say you had a thousand people coming through your gate at Whitehaven every week, and there's 
you know, let's say for argument's sake, there's ten. <laughs> let's say for argument's sake, there's ten games. There's ten games at home. That's a, you know, that. That, that's 10,000 people you're getting through your gate in one year. You know, if you, I guarantee you, if you were to bring Wigan, Saints, Leeds up to Whitehaven for a game, you'd get, you know, you'd get six, 7,000. It's proven that when, we've, when they've took games to Derwent Park, when they've played Scotland against New Zealand, when they've played Scotland against Tonga, they've continually had, you know, crowds of 6,000. So, for me, I don't know why you couldn't, if it happened, ground share, where one week you'd play a home game at, at working, the next home game would be at Whitehaven. I just think for fans as well, if you played them games on a Saturday afternoon, how good would it be as a fan to go and stay up a night in the lakes, watch a game of rugby, have a walk around Keswick or wherever, and then and then carry on back home? I think it's just got a lot to offer, really. But whether that happens or not, I don't know. Mark, your mates with the great doctor, you should... Um, how, how serious was his... His project, Mr. Kukash, Dr. Kukash. I think he's had a project in Liverpool since then, so I'm, I'm struggling to keep up with the, with the doctor. At the His projects. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I think there's merits to it. However, I think the way Super League is being positioned and being thrusted forward, I think the more thinking of commercially viable teams that kind of have a reach and a name that might be London, it might be Leeds, it might be a name with with a yeah. commercial aspect to it rather than just support your Toronto, apart from Toronto. Um, rather than support junior participation, all the kind of stuff that that, that Whitehaven and Workington, all, 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 all the, the Cumbria, Cumbrian towns kind of possess, I, I don't think it'll go down that way. But I think the, the doctor could maybe come and save the day. I don't know how long he'd last, but um, I think plenty is Kyle and Lee Moss have been a few of the lads to help it hold his hand. <laughs> well, is this self-serving, Kyle? Are you are you pushing the Cumbrian franchise? Man, this no, has got... not at all. Look, look, no, I just, look, it absolutely is. Yeah. <laughs> go, go on, on what you got? No, no, no look, at, the end of the, at the end of the day, when I, when I finish with rugby, I'll, I'll happily, you know, I'll happily close the door on that chapter in my life and be very thankful for it. I don't think that, you know, I'm not, I don't think I'm going to be one of them that sort of stays around and, and trying to do anything out, out of it, really. But uh, I just think, you know, through, through my own story of, of, of experience, what I've had to experience, moving a young family away from home and, and all that sort of thing, that, uh, look, if I'd, you know, if you'd have asked me as a 21-year-old lad, um, if I had a chance to sign for for, for Cumbria, uh, a Cumbrian Super League side, or you know, or travel down to you know other parts of the country to make a living, then with my wife being from up there, it'd have been a no-brainer. I'd have been so proud just to you know to to rip into that Cumbria thing, and then perhaps later on in my career, if an opportunity like a St Helens come up, then I'd make a I'd make an assumption based on based on that really. But you know, I think loads of kids up there, if they had the opportunity to play and represent Cumbria and play, you know, the game that, that they're all crazy about up there, then it may not be any This is part of the problem, though, isn't it? The history of the game holds us back because each club has got its own history. Each club believes its own history is as valuable yeah. as, like, other clubs. So, like, but, you know, you, you know more than most. The talk of White... For people who don't understand, Kyle, the talk of yeah. Whitehaven... Merging with Workington, what does that mean? Up yeah, but who who are you who are you upsetting nowadays though? You, you, what you're upsetting the 500, 600 faithful that go like? Do you know what I mean? Like you yeah. talk about probably you probably had that you probably had that same 
you, you've only got to go in your car and drive up there, and I guarantee you, you'll see someone walking around with a Wigan shirt on. Uh, they all they all wear the Super League shirts. You know what I mean? Like so, people even drive from there to come and watch games down here. Come and watch Wiggins. So they just want to see top flight rugby, like anywhere, don't they? Really? So I just, you know, even when 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 Saints left Knowsley Road, there probably would have been people fuming about that. You've just got to you've you've got to adapt or die, haven't you? You know, if you're not willing to to change anything, then then you know who knows who knows what'll happen to those clubs. I don't know. I don't I don't know enough about the about the the financial situation of those two clubs. However, I can make an educated guess and say it's not going to be brilliant. Yeah. Look, Kyle. Um, I mean, you you said that you're dream really is to get another year after this one for Saints yeah. and then you'd be happy to sort of go out there um, is the plan to cap off this year playing for Ireland at the World Cup oh yeah I mean that's something I'd, I'd love to I'd love to stay in um, well, first of all I'd love to stay at Saints and get that and get that done and ho- hopefully I can do that and then you know the World Cup on top of it would be you know be unbelievable I had, I had such a good time in Australia with, with our Irish lads that it was you know it, it was brilliant like it was a proper good a proper good tour, like, and uh, I, and I think we I think we represented the the jersey well. I thought a lot of people enjoyed watching our games, really. Um, so yeah, you know, it's, it's only in rugby league where you can win two games and and uh, and go out the group stages. In another group, you draw one and lose two and go through. So hey ho. Yeah. Well, look, because because you made your debut, didn't you? In 2011, you made your debut for Ireland. But but what yeah. were those memories like at the 2017 World Cup? Oh man, it was just awesome. You know what I mean? Like we, we joked at the time and said it was like just the, we, we kept. I think it was Anthony Mawali. We kept saying it's it is stag do. He wasn't even with a girlfriend or got married or anything. But it was <laughs> it was literally like you know it, it reminded me. It's funny how this whole conversation's come full circle. It reminded me of them times that I got back with with my amateur with with them men. You know where we just you know we'd train and then we'd have a few beers together and then we we'd just enjoy each other's company and then we always just said look as long as we're as long as we're ripping in at training and putting the performances in on the pitch, then we can have a good time and we can relax. Because if we were brutally honest, were we going to win the World Cup? No. So why not have a good time while we're doing it? You know, and, and it's and, you know, it was as simple as that, really. And obviously, as long as we, again, we're training as hard as we could when we were training and playing as hard as we could, I don't think we let anyone down. And I think, I think uh, you know, certainly it was a it's a memory that that that'll stay with me for a long, long time. Yeah, look, the, the big question is, Kyle, how Irish are you? I mean, if you say Kyle Amor in a very thick Irish accent, I think you'd get away with it, wouldn't you? It sounds like an extremely Irish <laughs> name, but how Irish are you? Uh, it's my grandparents. My grandparents are Irish, so uh, that's how I qualify. In fact, I think my gra- granddad left Ireland to come and help build the Whitehaven multi-storey car park. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. That, that couldn't be more partridge. <laughs> to finish off Kyle this week and we did this with yeah. Michael Lawrence and Michael just about got himself to the World Cup didn't he uh, Mark uh, playing for Jamaica because he, he had a quiz um, and he had to get a certain amount right so we've got a little quiz for you eight questions yeah. um, John cue the theme music how Irish are you do you want me to do the theme music well Yes, yes. What now, would you what would you what would you like to theme music today? Some generic Irish music. Right, well, just give me a second, I'll get some up. 
Oh, you should have had that. Now ready. this is now, um, now this is more this is more passage, you know, Wilco. <laughs> no, it's not. It really isn't. I wanted it to I wanted him to sing it, but he's gonna find something. That'll do. Very good. Very good. I think we Okay, I think we've got the rights for this, so just keep that going in the background. Turn it down a little bit. First question on how Irish are you, Kyle Amor? The yeah. currency in Ireland. Nice easy one to get you started. The currency in Ireland. Is Euros. He's got one out of one. Mark, can you keep the scores for me, please? Yeah. Uh, he needs five to get to the World Cup. He's got eight questions. He's right, got seven okay. left. He's got one right. Uh, number two. This should be a nice, easy one for an Irishman like you, Kyle, as well. The Irish flag has three colours. From left to right, give me those colours. Green, white, orange. He's got two out of two. He's heading to the World Cup so far. So far, we should say. There's still I'm on quite the, a few questions I'm on the, to come. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's got his socks on. Uh, number three. What are the main ingredients of the Irish dish coddle? I need two ingredients from the dish. Potato. Obviously. <laughs> <laughs> That's one. I need one more. Please don't say Guinness. No. Uh, I'll go beef. It's the incorrect answer. It's pork, sausage, oh. bacon, sliced ah. onions and sliced potatoes. Uh, oh, he's got two out of three good. anyway. Right, on to number four. Who wrote the famous Irish ballad, Fields of Attenry? The Pogs. Pete St. John is the answer. Uh, he's got two out of four. He's got two out hey. of four. Mark's brought his baby George along for the quiz. Oh, and he's crying. Straight away, he saw Kyle's face and he's crying. Oh. Uh, on to number five. Which Michael brought Irish dancing to a global audience? Which Michael oh. brought Irish dancing to a worldwide audience, Kyle? Lord of the dance. I have yes. no idea. Michael clue, Dobson. Michael Flatley. Come on, Carl. Michael Flatley. Uh, you can uh, still get to the World Cup. If right, you come get on. Give us an right. easy one. These are hard. Okay. Ones. Number six. How many leaves does a shamrock have? Three. He's right. He's right. And he's got two left. He needs two right answers to go to the World come Cup. Come on. To the nearest million, what is the population of Ireland? The music's run out. 17. It's 4.9, Kyle. It's 4.9. Oh, well, I thought... All right. God. I didn't but I'll give you that. this one. I'll give, I'll give you this one as, the, as the, the killer question. This will take you to the World Cup if you can give us this answer, please. Number eight. The lead guitarist from U2 is called... Bono. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I've won something, but I haven't. Have I? No, I don't want to know. But you got it wrong. <laughs> you got oh, it wrong, fucking hell. Oh, that's the singer. <laughs> Shit. Oh, no. Nah. Oh, God, that's embarrassing. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was, oh, that was even more partridge than ever. Yeah. Oh, yes, I've got it. No, you haven't. <laughs> Get in there, bastard! Do you want, a, do you want another go? You, you got you went for lead singer, lead guitarist. Remember the one with the little I, I, hat on with the weird glasses? 
ding, ding, no, ding, ding, ding. No, the edge, no the edge, Kyle. The edge is called the edge. Sorry, so I'm not going. I'm not going. Uh, you're not going not to the World selected. Cup, unfortunately. He's not going to the World Cup. Tyro <laughs> McCarthy's going to the World Cup, but you Rats. are not. Well, I know he's going. Christ. <laughs> Don't talk about him. We took Mark's job at Salford. <laughs> well, yeah, we know he's going. He's told everyone every day. He's on the road. Come on. i I was going to message him saying, do you know if you've been selected? Because we all don't. But how does he know? He's pretty confident there, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, anyhow, whatever. Well done, Tyrone. Is, is he one of those players in that 0.0001% Wilco that does has the Yeah, maybe he is. Maybe he is. No, no, he just got eight out of eight right in his quiz. Yeah. <laughs> that's all it takes that's how Michael Doesn't Lawrence it? got there for Jamaica uh, look Carl really enjoyed that mate thank you so much for, for no, reminiscing and going back through the olden days it's been a great journey really isn't it and it's amazing that it's come sort of full circle and here you are smashing it and you're five out of five as we're recording this one and heading towards another league leader's shield so all the best for the season mate all the best for the World Cup if you get there uh, after that quiz and we'll speak soon, pal. That's Kyle Amore, everyone. Thank you very much for listening to Out of Your League. We'll have a new episode for you every week to download from wherever you get your podcast. You can watch us on YouTube. Don't forget to give us a little follow at Out of Your RL on Twitter. Be seeing you.